0: The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Thomas Enerro. Hey, Thomas. Hey, Dom. And Jack Barazzini. Hey, Jack. Hey, Dom. To start, I first, before we do anything else, I want to tell you about another show that's on the StarQuest Network that I know you're going to enjoy. If you like The Secrets of Technology, you're going to like Let's Science. It's a new show that we've started. It's every other week. And it has uh, our, my three favorite Australians, <laughs> uh, Carolyn Lindsay and Lino, and they talk about a science topic of interest every, you know, every show. And it's, it can be varied from cool insects to space to why do cats like to sit in boxes? I mean, it's got a little bit of everything. and it's fantastic and it's a lot of fun. Check it out. You can find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com/science. So check it out. Let's science. Uh, I also want to make a program note next week as we record this on September 14th, which is the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows. I hope that's not a. Bad thing. Anyway, it's the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows is September fourteenth, but it's also the day Apple is going to have its big fall event where it announces (laughs) its new iPhone thirteen. That does really sound really bad, doesn't it? The (laughs) The more you talk about it, yes, (laughs) I know. I'm now I'm worried and uh, whatever other (laughs) new products they're going to announce and that sort of thing. So uh, we'll be talking about that next week. Uh, But this week we've got a fine slate of things to discuss, and the first thing I want to talk about is some feedback. We got from a listener, Richard, sent in an email. He said, uh, I decided to change from Google search, and I discovered on Bing that you can contribute to a charity from their list, and that there are many Catholic charities that are on the list, including his own diocese, he mentions. Uh, And he gave a link, Microsoft.com slash rewards slash give mode. But if you you, uh, Google it, you should be able to find, sorry, if you Bing it, you should be able to find (laughs) it readily. And uh, so it's it's give with Bing, and it has all kinds of charities in there. And so I guess the thing is, is as you as you're using Bing, you're gonna ge- generate some cash for your charity, like the little bits here and there. It's not gonna add up to a ton, you know, all at once. But uh, every little bit helps, right? So, um, so that's the thing. If you want, if you're thinking of getting away from the Google and trying the Bing, can you a Bing. I always think of that when I think of Bing. Like, how could you not? <laughs> But uh, so do you guys what do, what do you guys use for search engine?
1: I just use Google because it's the default and it gets me what I need for the most okay. part. Oh, See, I'm a DuckDuckGo user. That's mine.
0: S- yeah. Same Privacy here. and security. Yes. <laughs> so I use DuckDuckGo and then when necessary, I do the Bang G uh, code. Didn't mm-hmm. you, so, you know, that. So yep. if you go to DuckDuckGo yeah. Duck, and you do, type in your search and you type a bang is programmer speak for exclamation point because programmers need to change everything. Exclamation point G, it will search Google, but it will strip out all the identifying information. It anonymizes the search. And you can do that GM for Google Maps, GI for Google Images. So it works like that. So so if you um, exclamation point G. So yeah, I've done the same thing. I've set my default search engine to DuckDuckGo. All right, so that's good. Thank you, Richard, for that tip. That's a great tip. Uh, let's move on to our primary topic tonight, which is all about buying your own cable modem. Now, guys, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about, uh, buying your own router Buying, you know, what do you look for when you're buying a router? Uh, but now we're going to talk about buying your own cable modem. And so the, the first question of course, is what's the modem? <laughs> what's the, <laughs> what makes it different from my Wi-Fi router?
2: Well, we got to put that sound in, right? You got to put the uh, good old fashioned hey, well. up, dial up sound. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I now I got to go find it on Google, on, you know, the sound bites, and I'll put it in here. So, everyone will know. <laughs> so, what is a modem?
2: So, the modem is the thing that takes the data from your ISP mm-hmm. and converts it into something that you can use in your house. That's the the easiest way to talk about it is okay. it's when when you're using your uh your i s p they have a cable of some kind it's either a fiber optic cable or it's one of the coaxial cables that runs into your house that delivers the the information down their big pipe mm-hmm. and so that's the big pipe You have to convert that into something that you can use inside your house, and that's what the modem does is it kind of converts that big pipe information down into Information that you can use inside of your house for all the different stuff that you have connected to it.
0: Good. That that is a good, that's a good uh, explanation. Yeah, it basically it's the converter, and it's um, in some ways it's like a gateway between you sort of, and yeah. the and the internet uh, and your internet provider. Um, and it, it does a bunch of technical things which we don't want to get into, but it's a <laughs> it's it is a necessary part of your internet connection, and mm. it's usually provided. By your internet
2: provider. Oh, but you're paying for it. Yes, you're renting it. Yes, and, that, and that's I think that's the key that that before we even start this conversation, the important thing to think of is you are renting that thing, and they are overcharging you for absolutely certain. for that mode for that modem. For that modem.
0: <laughs> right. It, it, so, well, that was the next question. So, why would I want to buy one instead of use the one my ISP gave me? And that's the first point: is you're you're paying for it already. You're paying to to rent one from them. And you're paying an exorbitant amount, some modems you're paying ten eleven twelve dollars, some are even fifteen dollars or even mm-hmm. more, and that's nearly pure profit right Mm-hmm for, them. for the
1: most part, yeah, right, and this has this goes into what we talked about last time when we were talking about uh wi fi routers is for the, um most i s p s at this point they will try to sell you a bundle where you get your modem and your router all in one and mm-hmm. If you have, if you buy them both and you buy them separately, you're going to have more control over your own network in your house, and you're also going to have, like, if one component fails, you don't have to worry about replacing the whole thing, which is a lot easier.
0: Right, right, and it gives you a lot more options, I think, because if I buy a separate router, I can get like a an Eero mesh network or a you know right a, you know any of the mesh networks or ones with lots of more features than uh, most combos. You know, uh, modem cable. Mo- Cable modem, router combos don't give you. Uh, and I think another thing might be is the the modems you get are generally kind of cheap from the ISP mm-hmm. and the ones that they give yeah. you. They're, they're not all that capable of, of higher speeds and data quality and that sort of thing, right?
2: Yeah. And, and it, I think one thing to consider there, too, is that they're not really thinking about they, they just want something that works. And so they want a workhorse that's that's going to function most of the time. And if you ever have problems with your speed, if you ever have problems with uh, your co- connectivity, it's probably because that modem's having an issue. Right. The, the one big advantage, and this is the only thing that I'll give the ISPs, is the one big advantage is since you're renting the thing, you can always return it and get mm-hmm. another one.
0: They're responsible and for it. They're yeah. they're
2: responsible for it. That's that's the only advantage they have. That being said, when you look at the price of, a, of a, an actual modem, it pays for itself in less than a year. Right. And so you know, within a year, you're not going to have problems with the thing. It's probably under warranty for that entire time, anyway. So the company that you bought it from is probably going to replace it within that year, that it's right. going to pay for itself,
0: right?
1: And a modem is one of those pieces of technology where if you buy a decent modem, you're not going to need to replace it for three to five years right. at least,
0: right? You know, that's actually something to think about too. Is if if you've had your cable company, your ISP provided modem for more than three or four years, even if you're Mm -hmm. not going to buy a new one, which, you know, someone may come down and say, I don't really want to deal with that hassle. So even if you don't want to buy a new one, you might want to check up with them about upgrading your modem. Should I get a new modem? You know, give them a call to, to the technical people. You know, you might have to upgrade your speed, but you might actually find out you could get a higher speed plan for the same amount of money if you just switch out your modem. I right. I recently upgraded my speed and they 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 sent out a new modem and a technician put it in and it's like oh okay, uh, so you know that's that's something to keep in mind is even if you're not if you don't you decide buying one is not for you, you might want to give them a call anyway, mm. um, and that's actually part of it by the way I mentioned is if if someone one of the pros of renting it, besides the they have to support it, is setting up your own modem. Some people may think, well, the installation might be too much of a hassle. Is that really a a concern? For
1: most things, your modem is going to be plug and play. The biggest biggest issue you're going to have is when you're setting up your Wi-Fi. That's where you're going to have to go in and actually mess with your settings and everything but most wi-fi systems now have an app that you can just connect to on your phone that makes it really easy but for the most part your modem is you plug in your coaxial or your fiber connection on one end you plug in your ethernet on the other end and you plug that into either your computer or your router and you're good to go
0: do you have to contact your isp to tell them i've got i've replaced your modem with my own So that they can approve it,
1: yeah.
2: Well, that and and so that they can take the charge off of your right, (laughs) so (laughs) you don't keep paying for the Yes, where do I send this modem? Otherwise,
0: (laughs) yeah, where do I send your modem? I'm sending it back. Uh, Okay, okay, that's a good thing to keep in mind. Um, One of the things I I was reading, uh, and I'll have a link in the show notes about this, is that Comcast, which is probably might be the biggest uh, home internet provider right now is in some cases charging people an extra 50 bucks a month for no, for bringing your own modem. And it's kind of a convoluted thing having to do with data caps and unlimited data plans. And basically, for the, a regular plan, they want you to, they, they cap your data at one terabyte a month, which sounds like a lot until you start downloading things and watching movies and have kids and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and so you can, if you rent their modem, it's like fifteen bucks a month, which is still outrageously expensive. But if you don't rent their modem and still want unlimited data, well, no. If you don't rent their modem, they say you have to take their unlimited data plan, and that's an extra fifty bucks a month. So there, if there's like a thirty-five dollar surcharge on it. So it's not in every market yet. So just be aware of that and maybe think about switching to another provider if that if yeah. they try to do that to you. Uh, Comcast is. Uh, Well, they're losing, they're losing people to cord cutters. And so they're trying to keep their profits in another direction. Yeah, that's crazy. So, so we talked about, you know, why I would want to buy my own instead of renting one. And, and again, uh, to make it explicit, buying one, maybe a hundred, $120 for a really good one, renting it 10, $15 a month. That's simple math. Uh. We had talked about whether I might want to get a router/modem combo or two separate, and probably two separate is is better for most. And then the cost, we talked about that. You know the cost. So what do I look for? What when I go to look at online for at modems, how do I decide which one to buy? And there's a bunch of different data that the you know technical specs that they have, and one of the first ones is. I see is Doxis Doxis three Doxis three point one. What do I got to worry about there? What which one do I want? This one's really easy. If you have a hundred megabits
2: per second speed at your house, you need the three point one to be able to push it through.
0: Is it a hundred or one gigabit?
2: It's a hundred, really, because okay. because the other one, the three three caps at about sixty four. So you'll get most of your 100, but you're going to get a cap at about 64. So that's that's your big issue there is if your speeds that if the speeds that you're looking for are to hit that 100 megabits a second, you want the you want the 3.1 and the price between them is really it's like 20, 30 bucks more expensive for a 3.1 than it is for a 3. So,
1: yeah, I would say if you're buying a modem, go ahead and buy a 3.1 because you're going to be future proofing yourself
0: right right okay it's 3.1 then the other thing i see is a lot of times is we, we see numbers like eight by four or uh you know 32 by 32 what is that all about and what what numbers am i looking for there
2: so that's the pipe conversion like when i was when i was saying you got the big pipe going down to the little pipe uh that's that's what you're what you're talking about so the number on the left side of that is the is the speed from your isp And so that's if you think about that, that's your your download speed. You want a bigger number on the left side. And then uh, the number on the right side is you going back to them. So that's how many channels you can push through to them. Now, the only reason you would want a big number on the right side of that X is if you're trying to run a gaming server, a website, uh, some function that you think a lot of people are going to be coming to your uh, they're going to be needing data from your internals. That's the only reason you would need a bigger number on that. A lot of Um, different people. Right. Yeah. Right. A lot of different people, not just one person. You know, you got five people visiting your website. You're going to be okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. So and so the what so the number we want, like what what would be the basic number we want to make sure to have on that left side in the downstreams?
2: It it varies. It depends on your house. If you're if you're an IOT house, that's got a lot of stuff that's trying to talk back and forth, then you're going to want probably in the 32 range. Um, but if you've got, you know, if you've got one main streamer that's like the, the TV in your living room and then a few laptops that connect or some things that are on at different times, then you can get away with a lower number there. Eight's low. Uh, so 16 to 32 is probably good.
0: Yeah. 16 minimum. 32 is better. It's probably okay. And again, the difference in cost is not huge for, for like, right. say, 8 to 16 right. to 32. Yeah. Uh, So, and then in addition to those two bits of data, we need to know the download speed that the modem is capable of. Right. Like, if I'm paying for uh, 500 down and 100 up, I want a modem that can do 500 down at least. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, (laughs) And probably build in enough for what I can, what I'm hoping to do within the next. Like, if we replace this every three years kind of look look out three years and say am i going to need more than 500 in three years and if i if i think i am maybe i need to get one that's a little more capable and build in a little extra
1: right and if you're buying a modem that can do docsis 3.1 most likely it's going to be able to handle at least a gigabit um if not more um but obviously the higher number the better
0: and of course that different ISPs, Verizon, uh, AT and T, Comcast, you know all the different ones. Different modems will be compa- compatible with different ISPs, right? So mm-hmm. I need to I need to make sure my modem will work. What's the What's the best way to to make sure that my modem will work with them?
1: I check the product page. Okay. Check the manufacturer page. They'll usually mm-hmm. list. Who it works with. And if you're having any questions about that, you can either call them or call your ISP. And your ISP might try to give you the runaround. Like, even when you're replacing your modem, they're going to try to give you the runaround about that because they want to make that extra money. But if you just keep pushing them, you're like, no, I'm going to do this. What information do I need? They will eventually give you what you need.
0: Right. I think they recruit their customer service people from used car sales lots. I mean, that's really, (laughs) they're really pushy. Yeah. And 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 at the least that you could do is Google or Bing, uh, you know, blank ISP compatible modems. And you could, go, like, that's probably a place you could start even. Um, but is there one you'd recommend, a place to to, to start, a, you know, a modem that would be a good starting point or one that you recommend in general? I would say,
1: um, and I put this in the show notes, uh, the Aeris uh, Surfboard series is really good. I linked uh-huh. one in specific. It's the uh, SB8200. And it's one hundred twenty dollars on Amazon as of this recording. And it's DOCSIS three point one. Um, it works with a uh, Cox Infinity and Spectrum. Um, and it's got a two hundred two thousand megabits uh, down, which is a uh, two get uh, two gigabits. So that's like that's going to cover most anyone's needs. Yeah, Aeris makes great products. And
2: um, the other one I would recommend going with is Netgear. Netgear is just they make solid network products, and mm-hmm. they're reliable. Uh, they do tend to be a little more costly, but you are definitely getting your money's worth out of that uh, out of that extra
0: cost. Good, awesome. Any other things that anyone would need to know about replacing their modem? any concerns the installation or anything like that?
2: I would say knowing what your connection is is really important. That's one thing that uh, we didn't touch on too much, but there's the difference is that there's a cable modem, which is that coaxial line in. And then there are fiber modems, which are the other variety of connector that you have. Now, most people are going to have the cable modem. Even if they have a fiber connection, there's probably built into your house for everybody an automatic conversion from fiber to cable. So just know what look at look at the modem you have right now. Look at what's plugged into the back of it. If it's one of those one of those cables that looks like the old school uh, TV cables, then that's a cable. You just need a cable modem.
0: If it's, a, if it's a black cable with a circular silver end and a little pointy bit sticking out of it that's probably coax and that's 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 what you want yeah i have fios and the converter is on the outside of outside of my house it's like there's a box right. and then and they drill a hole through the wall and and run a coax cable in so mm-hmm. yeah so the, the that's that works there and if and if you're looking to make sure that it's compatible with your isp you should be okay there right good so if folks have other questions about Buying your own cable modem to replace the one you're renting and saving you some money. Uh, let us know technology at sqpn.com. We'd be happy to field any of your questions and and uh, let you know what there is to uh, to do with with that. And uh, we're going to have some links in the show notes. Uh, uh, how to choose the right cable modem, an article in Tom's Guide, which is a great website. Uh, renting versus buying a modem and router from Broadband Now. They have some good. Uh, they have a good factual rundown, and I mean, their their broadband now is is very much in favor. In fact, most people are in favor of you buying as opposed to renting. Uh, and then I'll have a link to that Comcast article about Comcast uh, really charging people <laughs> that extra money. It's crazy. It is a it is a yeah. It's
2: well, the thing that kills me about it too is like one of the arguments that I've heard is that uh, if you call customer service, they'll say, "Oh, well, I'll just ping your modem and reset it," and and that's something they can do even if you have your own modem, because what they're doing is essentially just sending a, a buzz down the line that even if you have your own modem, when it receives that buzz, it goes, oh, OK, I'll just restart now. <laughs> right. That's just what it does. So really, the only step you're cutting out on them is them being able to just look at it and get a, a quick feedback about what's happening with that modem. Mm-hmm. and. They don't like that, but it's really not harmful to them. You just tell them my modem's not working. This is the these are the symptoms I'm experiencing. Could you just ping it? Let's try that, and then if that doesn't work, you move on from there.
0: Right. One thing we didn't mention that might be an advantage too is like with Xfinity, like Comcast's, and a lot of them are doing this now. There's the, your your cable modem uh, with a route with Wi-Fi built in is acting as a hotspot, a, a public hotspot and they say that it it doesn't affect your security and it doesn't uh diminish your broadband but if you feel hinky about other people getting on your network even a little bit using your hard- hardware while walking by or driving by this this uh, breaks that you know this the, the, they won't be able to do that anymore so that's your home will no longer be a public hotspot and mm-hmm. so that's something to keep in mind as well that, that there's another reason maybe to do this um yeah, And I might buy a, a three-year extended warranty on my cable modem if I bought my own. That might be worthwhile for a few extra bucks, but uh, you know, something to think about.
2: Gives you that security of being able to replace it if anything happens. Exactly,
0: right? exactly. <laughs> All right, good, good. That's a good discussion. So uh, before we move on to our headlines, I do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Jason E., Ricky T., Ashley G., Jim H., and Monica V. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology in all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So a uh, little follow-up headline to start with. We talked a few weeks ago about Apple's controversial plan to start... With new child protection features that were going to come in their software on their various devices, mostly, I think, in iOS and iPadOS. Uh, But uh, it was going it was three things. It was going to be special protection on devices that they knew were owned by kids under a certain age, that if they were receiving um, explicit images or searching for certain things, that it would pop up warnings and eventually could tell them, I'm going to tell your parents on you. if you don't stop doing this. Uh and, and so there was that there was another one called um series for series search where it would look for particular keywords that people were searching for and if they were especially if kids were looking for certain things again alerting and uh, you know saying no no this is uh, inappropriate. Uh and then perhaps what I think might have been the most uh, controversial is they would be scanning people's iCloud photo libraries for what they call CCM child sexual abuse material or, or, you know, child pornography. And, and then if it finds certain things, it would alert uh, the, you know, would alert a, actually a a private organization that works with law enforcement, the uh, national center for exploited and missing children and missing and exploited NCMEC, missing, exploited children. And, They talked about all the ways that they would, uh, you know, the protections, that they they would be, you know, try to weed out any false positives, and it would be extremely you know, uh, safe. And one of the things they said at the time was, well, look, you know, Google does this already. Microsoft does this already. All of these online, you know, Google is scanning its Google photos and Gmail. They've been doing it for years. Apple hasn't been, and now they're going to do it. But people kind of got all upset. And uh, one of the so one of the things that happened is people got upset because the scanning was being done on device. Apple said, "Hey, we're not going to put you know scan your stuff in the cloud. That's private. That ruins your privacy. We'll scan your photos with this scanning system on your device." And they didn't understand. That people would get upset about that. What do you guys think about Apple now? Apple, and after all the controversy, Apple has said we're going to pull this back and think about it and get back to you later on when and if we do this again. What do you guys think about all this? Um,
1: i like, I know that we had um some conversations offline about this, Dom. But yeah, i I understand both sides of the argument. I understand being upset that Apple has kind of pulled the rug out from under people because. Their argument for a long time has been, especially with iMessage, is this is end to end encrypted. Nothing is going on. Nothing is going to intrude on this. And they kind of flip the switch on that with this. But I also understand that this is not the same thing as I've seen some people make the analogy that this is like Apple coming into your house and like searching through your drawers and making sure you don't have any contraband it's not really the same thing because you are storing your data on their systems offline. And so there needs to be some sort of accountability for that because these are systems that are going to be exploited by people who want to do nefarious things. I think it's just a matter of navigating where is that line and how do we, how do we view that paradigm shift with like with this kind of data, because people are always going to exploit these kind of systems for criminal purposes. I'm, I'm, I'm
2: interested at the fact that it was the fact that it was on the device that bothered people. Like, if, as if somehow it having been in the cloud in between would have been better. I don't like if 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 it bothers you, it bothers you. I don't really see how.
0: I think the the problem was they were installing the the mindset or the the thought was Apple is installing. a a surveillance system on my phone, which then opens up the door to other government agencies saying, we want access to that surveillance system that you've installed on the phone. Oh, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. And we kind of talked about this when we talked, you know, originally in episode 127, you and I and Pat, and, Mm -hmm. and at the time I was saying... Yeah, but then Apple could say, no, (laughs) like just just because they've opened the door to one thing doesn't mean that they have to open the door to all the rest. But yeah, I agree. Like, if you're upset that your stuff is being scanned, you, you you know, you better be using. Well, I was going to say ProtonMail, but that doesn't work anymore. Uh, (laughs) ProtonMail just uh, came out that they had been giving stuff to, to law enforcement. But you better be using systems on, you know, that don't upload stuff into the cloud because all the stuff, all your mail, all that stuff is being scanned for mm-hmm. e- either this sort of stuff or other things, you know, wherever you go. So I, I feel like you're fighting a battle that's already been lost in that case, in one sense. But but the the, the counter to that is.
2: Even if it's been lost, we can't just keep losing because eventually it is going to be right. you know, key loggers that track everything that you say and the thought police.
0: Right. <laughs> not on your
2: door. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Right. Right. We do need to push back.
1: I think the hard thing is, is that, and this is where I've been kind of trying to view it, is that a lot of the times, like the criticisms of this kind of system are valid because it is a, it is a, like, you know, not to use that term, but a slippery slope of an intrusion of our privacy, but I do think we kind of need to shift the way we're viewing things and that people kind of come up with analogies where it's not the same thing as like someone coming to your house and searching through your thing or someone searching all your mail. But because if you, you have this kind of information, which is infinitely copyable, it is a different kind of impact than it would be if it was a physical item. And that's why it's different from like one person doing something in their house that is criminal If you are doing this kind of thing, you are sending it out to potentially thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. Mm -hmm. So it is it is a different kind of problem. And we need to figure out culturally where we're comfortable with the bottleneck being in terms of things being searched.
0: And and to be clear, as we talked about before, they're searching for known files like these. these, They're not looking for oh, there's a, you have a photo of a naked kid in a bathtub. Well, that's just my my two-year-old. I was giving him a bath that they look like, cute. No, 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 that's not to happen. It, what they're looking for is mm-hmm. known stuff that's on file that they've seized from criminals mm-hmm. and they're using the hashes on that. So that was, so I, and I don't think anybody is saying, uh, there is no one who's saying we should be allowed to have this sort of material. It's it, it, right. It's not about the stuff they're trying to stop. Sometimes I think what it is is law enforcement says, we need these tools to catch other, all kinds of criminals, but they use like the worst kind to justify it. You know, we right. need back doors because y- you don't want this kind of bad guy using your stuff. Right. And we, we all like, no, we, we, we need to stop those guys at any cost. And maybe not, you know, that, that might be, yeah. Yeah. Because once yeah. you open a, do- a door, a back to do- a security back door to system, that doors, like it's It's, it's going to get broken through by everyone, not just the people who it's intended for it mm-hmm. like a door right. is is a door to be broken through
1: we've talked about like Clearview AI on this uh mm-hmm. show before, and yeah. that's the same kind that's, of thing where like exactly it might be useful to catch some criminals, but if the people who are using that tool when once they get that power they're not going to relinquish it, and that's the mm-hmm. worrying part
2: well and that's the interesting thing to here too is like this isn't actually Good application of a machine learning algorithm because mm-hmm. what, what I, I, I'm, I don't know Apple's code. So I'm, I'm, this is complete conjecture, but I'm sure this is the way they, they were going to do it just because I, the way they talk about it. What they were going to do is put a piece of software on your phone. And because and, this is the one I think is the most concerning to people is that the catching of the messages, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the kids doing things that they're not supposed to do and then that being caught. Um, you could compare that to a keylogger. But the thing is, is that a key logger is only as good as where the information goes. Mm-hmm. And so, if you've got a machine learning algorithm that's sitting on the phone doing a narrow set of things, just looking for, you know, this kid's under thirteen. They're looking for this one of these trigger words, and then just popping up a message that says, "Are you sure you want to do this? Maybe let's get your parents involved." That, it to me, is really not. It's not phoning home it's not going back to anywhere else you know it's just keeping this it's got this narrow band of things that it's just doing and i can see where it gets hairy when you talk about okay well we are actually going to notify the parents that's a little bit you know because then that means there is information going somewhere else that that is triggered by something but um yeah i don't know i mean i think that's that's a clever use of this this concept of ai and machine learning. That separates those two things. You know, it's not like there's somebody sitting there watching everything that's going on and making sure that the 13 year old is doing what they're supposed to be doing.
0: Well, here's something a similar story that was in the news just this week uh, from ProPublica, the public interest uh, journalism project. They reported that WhatsApp Owned by Facebook, so you know it's going to be bad <laughs> because it's Facebook. But WhatsApp is a is is the the most popular messaging platform in the world it, outside of the U.S. It's everybody. And one of the things that Facebook has promised for years after they bought WhatsApp for a couple billion dollars, twenty something billion, I think it was, uh, they promised that it would stay secure. It has end to end encryption. You know, we we we're not going to be reading people's messages, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it turns out that they do read the messages in certain circumstances. And it's not like open-ended. If if someone in a conversation, whether it's in a group or one-to-one, reports the conversation to to, to Facebook, someone's being bad, someone has said a mean word to me, you know, or whatever it is. I mean it could be a valid someone stalking me. I shouldn't make uh minimize it. But if someone reports mm-hmm. a conversation the the that message and the previous five messages are sent to content moderators to well they don't call them content moderators but it's sent to humans to review, and so under certain circumstances that information is visible. It's not end to end encrypted. It's and it's an open door, and people are you know kind of <laughs> losing it over this, even though it's a very limited door, limited view into this. But the fact is, Facebook has burned all their credibility uh, and, and, and their reputation mm-hmm. many times over to this point. And so no one trusts Facebook. And so even this small step that they've that they've taken, which they probably didn't even think was a big deal. Hey, we're keep trying to keep people safe, is seen as a big deal. And I think that's mm-hmm. a similar thing here. Even though this was a small window that Apple has opened, it is seen as, OK, but Look at the implications, the possibilities, the the philosophical change that this makes. I think that's probably why, and and probably why Apple didn't get out ahead of this. Why they why they got caught, you know, uh, you know, unawares. I was going to use a different right. term, but it got caught unawares. Uh, is they didn't they weren't they didn't see this as that big a deal. But of course. Everyone is looking at the totality of the situation and the internet, and that's why it's a big deal. So Mm -hmm.
1: yeah, it's a hard thing.
0: Yes, this is I wouldn't want to be the guy at Apple in charge of trying to implement this sort of thing and try to keep everybody happy. This this Mm -hmm. is like you said, it's a hard thing to do. Speaking of not keeping everybody happy, let's go to our next (laughs) headline. This one kind of struck close to home for me because it's a service I use in the past. Lowcast was actually was a pick of the week for me on a previous episode a while ago. Lowcast was uh, a TV local TV streaming service, and the way it worked was is you you logged into their site and you told them where you were, and you could watch all your local programming, all the local over the air, you know, news channels and all that sort of stuff that you would normally get from your cable company, and. You say, well, how could you do that? That seems to be a violation of the, you know, that that other companies have tried to do this before, Aereo and others. Locast did it because the, their their theory, their legal theory was we are a nonprofit. And so therefore, we are what, we, what they did was is technically set up antenna in different markets and you were using an antenna. You weren't renting it. That was what Aereo's thing was. You were renting an antenna. And uh, that got shot down in the courts, uh but you were using an antenna that they made available for for free. you could use it for free and um that that was their legal in the, since they were non profit they were uh they were gonna get by on that the They got sued, of course, and the court said, well, here's the problem. you were every few minutes a certain period of time you would pop up an ad encouraging people to become monthly donors at $5 a month uh, to help support the service. And that is your, that is over and above the cost of providing the service enough that you are violating cop- the copyright of the copyright owners by rebroadcasting their their broadcasts. And lowcast at first, I got an email from them saying, we're going to have to, you know, uh, we're taking out the ads in order to satisfy the court. So there won't be any ads at all you'll just be able to watch and then a day later we're shutting down <laughs> so uh so what do you guys think of this it's it's this do you think anyone's ever going to be able to do this free broadcast rebroadcasting of streaming of, of over-the-air tv in, in their in markets what do you think
1: probably not as long as the big guys have all the lawyers behind them mm-hmm. it really has to do with who has the deepest pockets.
2: Which is sad. And the the thing that really upsets me about that ruling is the the fact that it was a monetary number. Like they put a number on it that said, because you're operating above cost, that violates someone else's rights. And it's like, what does that mean? If you're an artist and you're being supported on Patreon and you're doing fan art, right? As long as you're not making a profit, you can so if you're only doing it the cost so like what it gets really really hairy really fast um and i don't like i don't like that there's like this oh you're taking a job from someone else if you're making a profit by the donations that you're getting that's
0: and this is a very specific thing like all they were like they weren't taking out the local ads they weren't doing anything except just capturing a signal that's being broadcast into the air and running it through the internet. Like if I if I went down to a building in Boston and got permission to put an antenna on the on the roof and ran that into a, you know, a, an internet connection and, and and picked it up on my house, that's fine. I mean, I could do that right now on my roof. I'm legally allowed to do that. If someone does it if I have a friend who puts it on their roof for me, is that now is that legal? Maybe? Now, if I give them a couple bucks a month for the cost of it, then I'm now in illegal territory. You know, it's this weird. Mm -hmm. It's it's yet another case where our laws have not caught up with technology. The technology is far outpaced our our Mm -hmm. laws. And there are there is a very large vested interests who who don't want them to catch up. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right.
1: Well, this hurts people who need local news for like if you have got a storm or like an emergency situation like this is a service that could be provided to them and this ruling is going to cut off people who need that service
0: well when i w- we had uh, the remnants of hurricane ida blow through and i was a little worried that we were going to lose power if i lose power i don't have local cable tv what mm-hmm. i do have is a phone with an internet connection right i mm-hmm. could watch my local news and get vital information through low cast but i can't now you know that's mm-hmm. the thing it's it it's not i don't know i think part of it is is they're afraid that's yet another reason for people to cut the the cable cord mm-hmm. and and do without and and that would put comcast and verizon and the others a little even more out of the money that they than they are now
2: but well, i was going to say you could always watch your you could always watch your news on their website but you might encounter Ugh. a paywall <laughs>
0: Yeah. Right. Or well <laughs> or just the ads that make it impossible to use. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> Almost every TV, local every local TV station's website is horrible. It's just horrible oh, yeah. without exception. Please show me it's, one that is that's that breaks that exception. You mean you don't like
1: the ads telling you like eating a pound of ginger a day is going to cure all your ailments? Oh, my, my God.
0: God. Like and like it fills the screen and slows down the browser. And and then, you know, every every 20 seconds, it it, the 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 news broadcast is interrupted by another inane ad for ginger or a kai berries or something. See, I'm so
2: glad I downloaded (laughs) Vivaldi and just block all that nonsense. And, (laughs) you know, I get every once in a while, I'll get a website that says, please disable your ad blocker. And I'm like, no, I'll just go somewhere else. Sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's been my. Yeah, I, I I, I've had ad blockers for a while, and you know, if I someone puts a post a link to Washington Post, I don't bother going because I know they're not mm-hmm. going to let me through. There's paywall, yep. mm-hmm. and uh, so oh well. I I mean, there's other sources of news out there that aren't going to block me. So mm-hmm. yeah, if yeah, that's a whole other conversation about reasonable <laughs> ads, re- reasonable advertising. All right, uh, let's move on to our next headline, which is about this Australian court. So this is uh, interesting. An Australian court has ruled that an artificial intelligence can be considered an inventor on patent filings in Australia. So this is specifically Australia. So the uh, the justice who is in charge, who made this decision said that there is nothing in Australian law that says that the applicant for a patent must be human, which I don't know. Is that maybe not assumed? Like it also says that you know <laughs> that you can't you you can't I don't know uh, kill somebody like I don't know. It was just like I think most laws assume that you have to be human. That's the the laws apply to human beings. What do y'all think of, of this this decision?
1: I would just say, uh, quoting from the uh, Orange Catholic Bible, "Thou shalt not create <laughs> a machine in the uh, in the likeness of a human's mind." <laughs>
2: All yeah. right good old dune reference (laughs) (laughs) uh i what what about a driving car a self-driving car self-driving car it's got to be moderated somehow and there's um and if the car runs into someone or runs into some property uh there needs to be a way for that to be recompensed and i think that this is paving the way for that kind mm -hmm. of thought
0: well the owner is responsible the owner of the car
1: Correct. Is the owner or the writer well, of the software they created the software that created the, the car? But the law already covers the...
0: this sort of thing. Is if the owner is if the owner is of the car is negligent, the owner is responsible. If there is a fault in the manufacture of the vehicle or the programming, in this case, then it's the manufacturer. I mean, we don't hold the car. What are you going to put the car in jail? Like, I mean, that's the thing. Is this...
2: well, I think I think we could start setting a precedent there and saying that okay, so there is an automatic fault with the vehicle itself. And that trickles up to the manufacturer because at some point the manufacturer failed in some safety measure. And that's what caused this particular vehicle to fail. So that's, that's the way that's going to fall out. I think with this, with this decision, you're also going to have that same kind of thing where you might have an AI invent uh, a new way of solving uh, an equation, solving a math problem, solving a science uh, problem. And that AI was written by someone. So the patent belongs to the AI because that person didn't actually figure out this thing. But the patent lies with that particular uh, running of the AI. Now, the the thing that I think is going to be really interesting here uh, from a programmer's perspective, like six levels deep on this thing, what happens when you rewrite that AI or when you copy it and make a new version of it?
0: But that's the that's precisely the problem. Is the law pertains? Now I'm not a lawyer. Don't play one on TV. The law, real lawyers could could tell me. But the law pertains to persons, persons in mm-hmm. the law, and we have in, in in the U.S. Corporations can be legal persons in canon law. Parishes are juridic persons. They are legal persons within canon law. So they have they have rights in and of themselves. But are we going to give personhood to the AI? And like what your example about if someone writes an AI and the AI does a unique thing, does that unique thing belong to the AI or to the person who wrote the AI? Because if I own an elephant and that elephant paints a painting, whose painting is that? Is it my painting or is it the elephant's painting? Well, we have not given legal rights to elephants or monkeys or dogs, porpoises, maybe eventually. We we haven't yet, and I'm not sure we should. So that painting belongs to the owner of the of the elephant. I think that whatever that AI creates belongs to the person who owns that copy of the AI, who has licensed it probably because that's where we are with software. Mm-hmm. Um, especially given that a person we can't own persons, th- that would be slavery, of course. So we couldn't be able to own in AI Uh, it
2: it opens up a lot of really interesting legal
0: you say interesting I say bad (laughs) (laughs) dystopian I think is the word I was looking for (laughs) I don't
1: know I think it's really an open-ended question at this point um, but I will recommend a book um, I'll put in the show notes it's called uh, what to think about machines that think and it is a collection of essays about this very issue Mm -hmm. about How do we deal with AI going into the future as they become more advanced? And that line between autonomy and the creators is blurred. It's a really interesting book. So I will I'll throw a link in there.
0: So I'm remembering that we did an episode in early 2020 of this show where we talked about a Vatican conference on the topic of AIs. And I think this sort of thing was brought up, and I'll have to see if I can... Yeah, it was episode 55 uh, from March of 2020, so right before everything went to hell in a handbasket. Uh, But uh, (laughs) so, yeah, there was an AI initiative, and they called for AI ethics and other things. I don't know if they talked about AI personhood, but this is definitely a question that really philosophers, ethicists, theologians... Should start grappling with as well, like what is what does it mean for an AI? Should an AI, like an AI, will never be a a person like a human being made in the image and likeness of God? And the church will never is. I don't think that I can say with some certainty that the church is never going to consider an AI to be a person like a human being as a person. But short of that, should AI be given legal rights? Should they be given a per, uh, person? you know, human rights of any sort at some point. Um, I'm pretty sure uh, Jimmy Akin and I have had conversations on these lines, especially at he was Star Trek. And he, as he says, data is a toaster. If you can turn them off and turn them <laughs> back on, it's not a person. So,
2: <laughs> so. And See, and I, I, I do come, I do come at that from a different angle. I really do think, um, I don't, I don't think we have anything approaching a self-aware object at this point, but we do have machines that are doing creative work that I believe should be recognized as independent from the person that wrote the program, because it's not something that the person that wrote the program would have ever done. Um, it's truly unique work that is, that deserves a, a, at least the recognition of it being independent. Now, like you said, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know what all the implications of this legally are, but I do believe that we need to start recognizing that we are creating machines that are doing creative work on their own. And, and that's a double-edged sword where you have a really, it's great because it, it takes a lot of the burden of um, some of the tedium of creative work off of the human, right? Mm-hmm. And so we write a program to go back and look at all the stuff that we didn't really want to look at and figure out what some of the conclusions are and point us in the right direction and then we go and and you know check afterwards and say oh yeah that that's a great idea that that did really actually work um but then the other side of that is we don't know what the machine is going to come up with all the time because there are these hidden layers of what the machine learning is doing and so you never want to give there never there should never be a situation in which uh an ai is weaponized where it has the the mindset to go and kill and the ability to go and execute that because we don't know what that decision is going to come down as and we can't program ethics into a machine and that's an that's a very important i mean we've already seen with humans sitting at a at a computer screen running a drone uh on the other side of the world that there is a disconnect between them feeling like they're actually doing something that they have a moral judgment on and just following orders and doing what they're supposed to do or playing or it's almost like playing a video game right and so If humans are susceptible to that, just imagine a a cold, logical machine that just makes decisions based on crunching numbers and not any of the other things that we need to have as humans.
0: A machine can't empathize because empathy is a function of love, which is built into our human nature, which is our imago dei, the image of God in us, and that you can't put that into a machine. You just, that's Mm -hmm. never going to be there. I'm... I'm more skeptical, but I, you know, uh, this is a difference of opinion where which has no solution at this point, I Mm -hmm. think. Right. So uh, uh, but I'm glad of the of the discussion. And uh, as this comes up more and more, we should continue to discuss further cases. I should follow up that uh, U.S. and EU law, I think specifically states that a patent holder must be human. So so it's not going to come up in the U S at least until they change that
1: Vulcans need not apply.
0: (laughs) That's right. Poor Mr. Spock. No, No patents for you. Uh, All right. So let's, uh, let's move on to our picks of the week and uh, we'll close things out with that. And our first pick is going to go to you, Thomas. What's your pick this week?
2: Okay. So um, my pick this week is really nerdy uh, and it's marginally techie. Uh, (laughs) It's uh, I'm into tabletop war gaming, but Um, Anybody who's into tabletop wargaming knows that it is incredibly expensive and very complicated. (laughs) And there are lots of arguments and rule fights and, uh, you know, going back through massive manuals to read rules and stuff like that. Well, uh, just recently I found this really great uh, tabletop wargaming community that's called One Page Rules. Uh, And what it is, is they boil... The, the war gaming rules down to what fits on one page front and back. And it they have a bigger manual that explains all of the, you know, outside cases and intricacies and things like that. Uh, but basically you have one page of rules that handles the overall mechanics of the game, and then you have one page of rules that is your armies, how to build your armies and what the rules for your particular units are. And fantastic community. Uh, they have Basically, taken one of the very prominent properties in uh, wargaming and made knockoffs of the of those properties. So one is called uh, Grimdark Future, and the other is called Age of Fantasy. And <laughs> there, okay. if, if you know. If you know tabletop board, I gaming, wonder
1: what those are. References you, you, you
2: know what they <laughs> you know what they're references to. Um, if, if you if you don't, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get anybody in trouble, so I'm not going to like point out which ones they are. Okay. But you'll know as soon as you see the pictures, you'll know what they are. You'll go, oh yeah, that's that one. Um, but the, the, it, and the it's guy in this picture
0: has a hammer he's carrying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> sorry. Uh, it's, yeah.
2: <laughs> so, uh, but it's it's really great. There, the rules are fantastic. The rules are all free. Uh, the one page version of them and the basic uh, tabletop sets are all free. um There's a lot of resources that are available for like you know making paper cut paper miniatures. They have a few free 3D prints that are out there, and then they have a Kickstarter campaign that's um you know they they are uh, making 3D models. And you buy uh, your whole army is a unified uh, visual set and you can buy the 3D models and print them yourself on your 3D printer. And uh, but the, the community is fantastic. I'm on their discord and on their Reddit page and uh, they're really great about the rules, really great about talking through things with you and uh, just shooting the breeze about all sorts of tabletop or gaming stuff.
0: Cool. Awesome. That's awesome. I'm going to check that out. <laughs> and Jack, what is your pick this week? So I
1: recently found myself in the position of needing to get a new cell phone because my iPhone 10R died, um, and I decided to jump ship and go back over to the Android world. And I picked up the uh, Google.
0: Shun <laughs> <him>. <laughs> Sorry, go <ahead. laughs> I Picked up the uh,
1: Google Pixel Five A Five G, and I've had it for about a week now, and I really, really like it. Uh, it's got 128 gigabytes of storage. It's got the, like I said, the 5G. Um, it's got the most recent version of Android. It's got the nice uh, pixel cameras and all the Google AI uh, software along with the camera, which is really nice. Um, and the main reason I went for it is that it was uh, $450 as opposed to getting a new uh, iPhone or uh, used actually iPhone 10 XR, which is still at least $100 more. Um, and I know it's kind of the lower version, uh, or the, the mid tier for, uh, Android phones, but for 95% of people, it's going to be what you need. Um, and I like it a lot and it's, you can get it unlocked and it's, it's a good phone, good, solid phone.
0: Cool. Yeah. I I seem to think Father Corey's uh, is a pixel guy too. So yeah, he, his is a little older, but it's a nice phone. I mean, if I was gonna, if I was gonna go Android, i not that I'm not going to, but if I was, I would probably be looking at the uh, at the, the pixels because that's a good phone. Awesome, yeah. cool. So my pick this week is another piece of a little bit of software that is does. Uh, it's from a company called Many Tricks, and it this is this is a Many Trick pony. Uh, it's called Moom M O O M, and what this does is it lets you move and arrange your windows uh, on your on your Mac. It's a Mac software. Uh, with ease, and it does it in several different ways. So one of the ways it does it is it with key combinations. So if I call up the Moom window, uh, and uh, you could use any, you could set it for whatever uh, key command it is, but I have it programmed to a key on my uh, computer, and I can um, bring in this window, and I can move the, the a window of a program. To, the, to fill up the left half of the screen, the right half of the screen. I can send it to my other monitor. I can make it a quarter size. Uh, if I hover my mouse over the a little green, uh, you know, uh, expand. So the, the, the um, Macs have the red, yellow, green buttons on the top of every window. If I hover over that, it drops a little window down and I can sort of draw on a grid where I want my window to be in my screen and how big uh, okay. I can set uh, custom um, settings, so I can say uh, set up my my monitor for uh, podcasting. And when I do that, it makes a thin browser window from Brave uh, about, let would say, a quarter of the screen on on the left. Then it puts another browser window that's about half the size of the screen to the right of that. It moves some other windows around, and it does all this. And then I can say I'm done, and puts everything back. So it does all these very different a lot of different many tricks, uh ways of managing your windows and it really makes a huge difference. Uh, one of the things I love is I have a key command where I can where I I click the the key command and it moves the active window underneath my cursor. Which is great when you have two 27-inch screens and the window of the app you just opened is way over there. It's like scroll scroll scroll. I just do, you know, command W or uh the caps lock W. And boom, pops over and under my cursor, and it's really great. So uh that is boom, and it is available in the Mac App Store. It's available on setup, I think. Oh, I don't remember if it's on setup, but it's definitely uh in the Mac App Store. You can buy it directly from them, and it is inexpensive. It's ten dollars. So well worth it, I think. Good. So that's it for this episode. I do wanna before we go, I want to say that if if you have any feedback for us on anything we've talked about, you can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media or send an email to technology at sqpn.com. You'll find links from our discussion and our picks of the week in our show notes at sqpn.com. Please join the StarQuest fan club by texting StarQuest to 66866. That's StarQuest to 66866. The most immediate result of that is you're going to get a couple emails a month about the latest shows and episodes and what, what's coming up and you get some previews of, you know, uh, forthcoming shows and episodes and that sort of stuff. So uh, text StarQuest to 66866 and then follow the prompts from there. Until next time, Jack Berazzini, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thanks, Dom. And Thomas and herho thank you as well. It was a pleasure. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest.